Before I get to my next guest, Brandon Stukesbury, I want to remind you about a couple of our friends, starting with the folks over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. The popularity of a cavity back wedge that can help golfers has grown fast. These are difficult to make, and Cleveland Golf is the only major vendor now out there making them. The CBX Zip has many features straight from the Tour RTX wedge, including zip grooves and a laser face for more spin around the greens from the fairway or the rough. Zipcore's lightweight density core moves the center of gravity, not just in the middle, but slightly forward towards the toe, for forgiveness on miss-hits and a solid feel on all shots. The dynamic sole on any loft helps turf interaction, which is at the heart of our Chunk It A Little Less TV ad. Hate your wedges? Can't get the spin you need to hit it close? Swap out your wedges for a set of the CBX Zipcores and save strokes immediately. There's a reason why CBX won gold this year on Golf Digest Hot List. For more information and to get yours, go online to clevelandgolf.com. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Brandon Stukesbury. Brandon is from Jacksboro, Tennessee, which is about 25 miles from Knoxville. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Plant Sciences from the University of Tennessee. He is the head professional at Metairie Country Club in Metairie, Louisiana. He was previously the director of instruction at Idle Hour Club, a little south of me in Macon, Georgia. Brandon is also the author of two books. The first title, The Wedge Book, an owner's manual for your short game, which you can get on his website, stooksburygolf.com, or over on Amazon, where it was a number one bestseller. His second book is the next step in the process. It's titled The Putter Book, an owner's manual for your green game, available in both of those same places. Brandon has been named one of the best young teachers in America by Golf Digest every year since 2014. Since 2010, they have consistently named him one of the best teachers in state. In fact, he was named Teacher of the Year in Georgia in 2015 and 2018, which is why I'm sad that he left for Louisiana because I sure would have liked to have gotten on the practice tee with Brandon. I'm excited, though, that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Brandon, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks so much for having me, man. It's been uh, it's been a wild ride since we talked last year at Metairie, uh, and I'm just uh, I'm happy to be back. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, and Brandon, like you say, it's been a minute since we got to have you on the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Yeah, so we uh, we opened the golf course, which is pretty interesting considering we're a hundred year old club. Um, we are a 1922 Seth Rainer design originally which uh, any Golden Age architecture fan out there will tell you is pretty rare. We spent, uh, well, let's just call it a lot of money, bringing the golf course back to its Seth Rainer roots. Uh, and that when I got here on property in April of 2021, um, it was a mud hole. But we, every single, uh, you know, hole, every green, every tee, every 
back together and opened it up uh, to rave review in December and have been going hard at it ever since. Uh, record record rounds of golf at the club, record membership, um, you know, record tournament participation. It's just been uh, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, um, but uh, but it's been a lot of fun. How did you get back to the original Seth Rayner design and put the course back together? Well, let me let me be clear. This wasn't a restoration, um, meaning it didn't go back exactly the way it was. The club has since sold several pieces of property off over the last hundred years that were part of the original design. Rather, we brought in Brian Silva, who is you know generally regarded as one of the world's best in terms of, uh, you know, Seth Rayner architecture and had him bring back a lot of the Seth Rayner flavor that existed in the original design. And so some of the design features that you see, um, you know, Seth Rayner and Stevie McDonald, you know, have put together through, you know, around the country and throughout the world, really, you see a lot of those same things here. You know, they believed in, in template holes and, and uh, we have 12 of our 18 holes are pure template holes. And our architect, Mr. Silva, um, combined a few templates and put his own flavor, you know, on some of the other holes. And so um, it really wasn't a true restoration, but uh, but it brought us back a lot closer than we had drifted over the past hundred years, for sure. Brandon, I want to go back over the course of your career because you spent some time with Jim McLean, a guy that I've been privileged to have on this show. You worked with him down at his academy at Doral. He's a legend in the instruction world. Talk about what you learned from being around him. Yeah, I will forever be thankful um, and grateful for Jim and the opportunity he provided me. I wasn't with him very long, but, um, you know, I, I was an operator. I was an assistant golf professional. and I was trying to figure out how to make, you know, a place for myself in the, in the career and, and or in the business and in my career. And, and I saw an instruction article written by, um, someone who left their name and phone number at the end of the article in a major golf publication. And I called him out of the blue. Um, and I asked him, you know, Hey, how did you get to where you are? And he had a very quick and a very, uh, succinct answer. He said, if you want to learn how to be a teacher, you need to get down to Doral and come to work for Jim. Um, and that's what I did. And so I went through the interview process and, and got on board and, and, you know, it was a pretty interesting deal. We, we were scheduled for four days of work a week and expected to be there on at least one, if not two other days in the week to learn, uh, to watch lessons, to observe lessons, to assist some of the older, um, you know, instructors with lessons. And it was an incredible learning experience. I mean, we had over 20 instructors on staff in season in Miami at Doral at the time. They, they've since moved um, to another property in Coral Gables, but um, it was a, it was an incredible opportunity. I made I made a ton of friends that I still keep in touch with today. I learned a ton of lessons on how to teach golf, how to teach golf for a living, which is very different than teaching golf. Um, and, and it was just an awesome experience. I, I can't say enough good um, and be thankful enough to Jim and all the instructors that, that gave their time while I was there, they made me the golf instructor I am today, at least set me on the right path. And so I, I couldn't be more grateful. 
Brendan, you say it's different teaching golf and teaching golf for a living. How's it different? Well, when you teach golf for a living, you have to know, you have to understand how to take people on a journey, right? And and, and what I mean by that is unless you are in a very special place in the country or at a very special facility where you have a lot of business, um, you can't. It's hard to make a living on one-off golf lessons, waiting for someone to walk up and take a new golf lesson. When you teach golf for a living and literally what you teach depends on what you teach, then you, you have to learn how to keep students. And that sounds self-serving. It's really not because it's why the student comes to you. But teaching someone over the course of two, three, four five-plus years and developing their game and continuing to get them better and improve their skill set over a five-year period is way different than fixing their slice when they come to see you for an hour when they've got their club championship next week. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that style of teaching, or not, not style is a wrong way to say that, but there's nothing wrong with that part of teaching. I do that on a on a regular basis at my club here. It's just different when you're doing it for a living. And that's kind of what I mean. You just have to learn you have to learn how to how to really develop players and keep clients getting better over the course of a long period of time. That's kind of what I mean. Brandon, the PGA Tour is going to be in Las Vegas for the Shriners Children's Open this week. They're playing at TPC Summerlin a place you're pretty familiar with. Talk about what we should expect to see this week. Yeah, you know, I miss that city. Uh, my wife and I got married. She finished up um, her um, graduate programs, and we got married and had really started our life together in Las Vegas. My first daughter was born in Vegas. People ask me all the time what it was like to live there, and they, they can't imagine it being, you know, uh, they can't imagine wanting to live there, but the, the the Las Vegas that people experience when they visit is very different than the one they experience you experience when you live there. And it was a great city. Uh, we loved it. We loved our time there. Um, TPC Summerlin's a really cool property. I can tell you one thing: you're going to see low scores um, in their world. It's a fairly um, it's a fairly easy golf course to go low on. Um, uh, it, it produces a lot of excitement for fans because the guy that wins that tournament might shoot 27, 28 under. Um, you know, that's going pretty low. And so it's a really fun property. You know, they, they, they have it at a really interesting time of year for the weather and for golf courses in Las Vegas. Most golf courses in Las Vegas at this point have overseeded. TPC Summerlin did not, um, which, which made for a really different experience than what most of the rest of the city had you know, in, in terms of conditioning. And so it's a fun tournament. I remember my time both in that city and on that property or on that property. Um, you know, I remember it well, and I look back on it fondly. I wish I was in town to be able to go watch some golf. It's going to be a cool event. When you look back at the places where you spent the majority of your teaching career, Florida, Georgia, now Louisiana, compared to Las Vegas, you go from hot and very humid to hot and very dry. For people who watch the tournament this week or may have booked travel to Las Vegas to go play golf out there, is there something that they need to consider regarding how different the playing conditions are going to be? 
drink about four times the amount of water you think you want to drink. Um, what's really interesting about that climate out there is people say, oh, I don't sweat. Well, you do sweat. The sweat just evaporates off your body before you can feel it. And so you don't know you're sweating, and that will dehydrate you in a hurry. And so you have to drink a lot of water. You're, you know, your body's going to tell you that you're thirsty, but it, it, it's a lot harder to believe that you're thirsty when you're not sweating and you're not hot. Uh, but I will tell you this, that the, the, the weather in Vegas in October, I would put up against weather anywhere in the country. Um, it really is fabulous. Vegas is a very dry environment, and I don't just mean humidity. It gets very little rain. And so um, it's just perfect. The sky's always blue. There are very few clouds. Um, it's just great. October in Vegas is awfully hard to beat, um, you know, when it comes to golf. And as long as you drink water and wear lots of sunscreen, you know, you're going to love it. Brandon, let's switch gears because I want to talk about both of your books, starting with the Wedge book. Specifically, let's talk about the bump and run shot. The technique you talk about is very different from what I see traditionally in other videos or in other publications. You simplify it more, which is great. Talk about your approach for how we should hit the bump and run shot. Yeah, so so most people have either heard or been taught in some capacity, you know, the ball needs to be back in your stance. You really need to lean forward, shaft lean forward. You need to hit down on it a lot and sort of pitch it. Excuse me. I understand why all those things are taught. People are trying to take loft off the golf shot and get the ball to release and run out on the green when it hits, which is sort of really the goal of of, of a bump and run, or a lot of people would call it a chip shot. Um, those those terms are sort of synonymous. The problem with that is when you put the ball back in your stance and lean aggressively into your left side and put a lot of forward shaft lean into it, two things happen. Number one, you really take away all the protection on the bottom of the club in terms of bounce, and it makes it very easy to miss hit that shot. Number two, because you've de-lofted the golf club so much, the ball tends to come out very fast with very little, I'm going to call it softness. Um, and, and that actually, to me, is is very damaging because you want softness around the green, right? You, you, you want the ball to almost be sneaking up on the hole. And when you deal off the sand wedge or you deal off the pitching wedge, you hit down on it really hard, the ball almost comes out kind of squirty um, is the word I would use off the face, um, and it makes it really hard to control. And so I just don't teach it that way. You know, there, there are other ways to decrease loft. Um, first and foremost, you can use less loft. Right, I mean, a, a an eight iron played with neutral shaft lean will deliver roughly the same amount of loft as a nine iron or a pitching wedge with aggressive forward shaft lean. Um, and so you gain back some of the softness when you do that, and you also have some protection on the bottom with the mount because the eight iron or whatever club you're using is not leaned so aggressively forward where the leading edge is getting involved. And so I was fortunate enough to be taught that way, not knowing um, how wonderful that was. That was just how I was taught by my mentor when I was a kid. Um, and, and it took me 
much later in my life and in my career to realize what a golden nugget I had been given um, when I finally started sharing that with people that I coached. Um, and, and that's ultimately what led to the book. And so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, but I, I just, I just see it a little different way. Um, it was how I was taught. I started doing research, saw a lot of other players on tour doing it that way. Certainly there are still some that, that do it the more, I'm going to call it traditional way. Uh, but I think there are a lot of advantages and I wanted to share that with the world. So that's what I did. Brandon, let's move on to the green with your new book, The Putter Book, an owner's manual for your green game. And before we get into some of the techniques that you teach, I want to make us all feel better because the players out on tour who are the best putters in the world, they aren't draining every 15-footer that they look at. They don't even make half of them. Talk about how statistically, we're all kind of bad putters. Yeah, you know, I say that, and, and, and sometimes in lessons and in clinics, I say it just to make sure people are paying attention, you know, when I say this. But, but I make the joke that statistically, we're all terrible at putting. And so there's, there's really no reason to expect to make everything. I can't tell you how many times, especially in the club environment, um, you know, I have people come to me and say, oh, I missed five, ten footers today. You know, I should have shot X. Uh, when in reality, that's just not true. And so when you think about some of the stats, I share them in the book and, and year to year to year, they're reasonably consistent on tour. You know, from about 15 feet, those guys make about 25%, meaning one in four. Now these are the best putters that walk on planet Earth and they make one in four from 15 feet. The other way to look at that would be they have to hit it to 15 feet out of the fairway four times before on average they'll make one of them right so um that's not as good as most people think from 10 feet they average around 40 percent and most people are really surprised to hear that their 50 50 mark is somewhere around eight feet so from eight feet they will make as many as they will miss and i dare say that if you lined up most amateur golfers and showed them an eight footer they would tell you that they should make that the majority of the time. And it's just not true. And so, you know, it leads to, it leads to expectations that are a little bit out of whack. Um, and that leads to some mental issues and some confidence problems, um, that a lot of people have. And by the time they get to me as a coach and want help with putting, um, you know, between a lofty or too lofty expectations and super low confidence because they're not living up to those expectations. You know, they're in a bad spot. And so that's why the stats are so important. And that's why I spent the time and I spent on it in the book and I, and I spend on it in my private lessons. It's, it's important stuff that, that needs to be part of the framework when you get, when you, you know, when you go to start getting better at putting. Brandon, just a couple of more before I let you go. And let's talk about reading the green. Can't tell you how many times my buddies and I hit a putt that breaks the opposite way that we thought it was going to break. Like, I can't believe the ball broke that way. How can we become better readers of the green? Yeah, so so here, here's what I would say, right? Just like anything else in golf or in life, you know, if you want to be better at something, you have to have a systematic approach that allows you to work on the skills necessary to improve whatever it is you're trying to improve. Um, look, I'm an aim point guy. I'm proud of it. I will raise my hand and say, you know, that I'm that I'm one of those. Um, I'm an eight-point certified instructor. It changed my life personally as a putter, and I was a pretty good putter before, 
um, and it made me a fabulous putter. Um, I, you know, sometimes it carries with it some some negative connotations. I don't think those connotations are are fair. A lot of times, I think people sort of fight that, you know, because it's just different. But you need a systematic approach to be able to practice the skill of green reading. Aimpoint provides that for you. And, and so the challenge I would make to most golfers, um, you know, when they say to me, I'm not very good at green reading, what do I do? And, and I always mention Aimpoint, and, and, and they say, no, no, I don't want to do that. And so I follow it up with a question. I say, okay, then, tell me how you're going to practice green reading. What are you doing to read a putt, evaluate whether you read that putt correctly, and then use that evaluation to affect the way you read the putt the next time? And if somebody can come up with a better way to do that, then I'm all, I'm all ears to hear it. But Aimpoint provides that. And so, um, I would encourage anybody that thinks they need some help with green reading or would like to get better at it. Go to aimpointgolf.com, find yourself a certified instructor, go through the process. At least it's kind of like your, your, your guest a few minutes ago, you know, talking about live golf. Like don't knock it till you've tried it, right? At least go do a little bit of research on it. Download some of the videos that Mark Sweeney, the owner and inventor, you know, has out there. Find yourself a coach. Go through it. See what you think. If you go into it with an open mind, then there is very little chance that it will not make you a better putter. And so, you know, green reading is, you know, it's got a lot of art in it, but it's also got science in it. And that science is not hard as long as you have a systematic approach. So that would be my challenge. Find yourself a systematic approach to improve your ability to assess slope, to assess the amount of slope, the direction of slope, and then find a way to match speed with that slope. If you can do all those things, then you're going to be a pretty good green reader. Brandon, we talk a lot about the mental side of the game on this show. Talk about the role that attitude plays in being a good putter. Yeah, so I, I kind of have this formula that I share in the book, and and I say A plus B plus C equals a good putt, right? And so very briefly, you can break down any putt into sort of three buckets or elements that are that are at the foundation. You know, can, can you choose the right spot? That would be green reading. Can you start the ball at that spot? That would be start line control. And can you hit the ball at that speed? And so those, that would be your ABC, right? Read, start line, and speed in no particular order. Those three get matched together to end up with a line that a ball takes from the putter face to the hole. And in reality, think about there being almost a tone, right, on any breaking putt that will allow you to make the putt. The high side being the top of the cone, the low side being the the bottom of the cone. And that mixture of A plus B plus C leads to that, that putt. I make the comment in there that you could almost add a D to the A, the B, and the C in attitude. The problem is you can't, you can't, you know, quantify attitude to measure it. But, 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 but here's my statement. And, and I, I, I swear every time I say this, I should go to have it trademarked, but back to the stat. Confidence can never be earned. It has to be owned on a putting green. Confidence can never be earned. It has to be owned on a putting green. Here's what I mean. Statistically, we've already talked about how we don't make a lot of putts. 
if you're sitting around waiting to make a lot of putt before you believe you're a good putter, you're always going to have a terrible attitude because your attitude affects the way you approach the stroke. Your attitude affects how you move the putter. Your attitude affects everything about the putt, right? I'll give you a very brief explanation, right, or example. If I laid out a balance beam that was eight inches wide over the ground and asked you to walk over an eight-inch wide balance beam from point A to point B, you'd have no problem doing that. Most people that can walk and not fall could walk on an eight-inch wide balance beam. But if I put that same balance beam over a 3,000-foot canyon, how do most people react when they're standing there about to step on the balance beam? They freak out, right? Well, it's the same balance beam. You just walk across on the ground. The skill set is no different. So what's changed? Your attitude has changed. Because now you have the fear of death or dismemberment or whatever, right, that gets in the way of your ability to walk. The same thing happens on a putting green. I mean, obviously, we're not going to die or get dismembered, right? But that's how attitude affects how you putt. And so if you have a poor attitude or your confidence is low, then it absolutely affects the way you move the same way it would if you were balancing on that balance beam over a 3,000-foot canyon. And so attitude is important. I'll say it one more time. Confidence can never be earned. It has to be owned when it comes to putting. You have to believe when you step up to that putt that you've done everything you could do to read it right and that you're going to make a good stroke and you're going to hit it at the right speed. Now, do we always do those things? Of course not, right? But we have to believe we can. Just like everybody that could walk over that balance beam when it was on the ground would have no problem, but some of them might fall. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they couldn't do it. It means maybe they slip. Same thing happens on the putting green. It doesn't mean you can't do it. Maybe you just didn't do it on that putt. You shouldn't let it affect your attitude on the next one. And so attitude's important. A plus B plus C, maybe even plus D equals a made putt. You got to have a good attitude. You got to have belief. And that's where the mental side of the game comes in on putting green. Brandon, let our listeners know how they can get copies of your book and then also follow you online and on social media. Oh, yeah. So everything I have out there in the, in the golfing world or in the world is all under Stooksbury Golf. You know, one of the benefits of having a funny last name is it's hard to, um, you know, it's, it's once you learn how to spell it, you don't have to fight anybody else for it, right? And so, um, it's S T O O, it's S T O O K S B U R Y golf. Um, my YouTube channel, my Twitter feed, my Instagram handle, my Facebook page, my website, everything is under Stooksbury Golf. Um, I, you know, I, I will admit that I have backed off a little bit on my content production over the past few months with, with my job and getting the golf course off the ground, but I'm excited to maybe be at a point now that we've been open for almost a year to where I can kind of ramp that back up. Um, books can be bought on Amazon. Um, you just search the, you know, the wedge book or the putter book. They're kind of hard to miss. They've got a giant uh, wedge on the cover or a giant putter on the cover. Um, so they're kind of hard to miss. Uh, the books were a fun project for me. They blew away all expectations. And I'm so thankful for the folks out there that have picked them up and read them and, and hopefully gotten a little bit better. And so check those out on Amazon and check me out at Stooksbury Golf. Um, 
I'm always open for a good conversation or comments about anything that I've got out there. Brandon, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of having you back on again real soon. Chris, the pleasure's all mine, man. Thank you so much. I have a blast. I'm just appreciative of the opportunity. So keep up the good work. Take care, Brandon. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. That is Brandon Stooksbury. Again, the spelling of his last name is S-T-O-O-K-S-B-U-R-Y. And Stooksbury Golf is where you can find him online and on social media. Attitude affects the stroke. That's gold. That's gold, Jerry. He is 100% right. How many times have you stood over a putt and thought, this isn't going in? And it never goes in when that happens. And owning it on the green, boy, you're going to see this in an audiogram. Both of those statements you'll find in an audiogram as a preview to this interview. Brandon's fantastic, and the things that he gave us are stuff that we absolutely got to carry in our minds with us because we got to get our minds right, we got to get our attitude right, and more putts are going to start to fall. Look forward to catching up with Brandon again soon.